friends and welcome back to Operation Opera. Elise and I had a lovely chat with a dear friend Diane Forez about art and business and finding a balance between them and also about finding your inner clown. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast today with Diane Forez. We are so grateful to have her on our podcast. Um, so Diane and I and this is actually something I feel like this is my most like silly I feel like I'm in my silly space today because Diane and I were roommates when we met and we we just sat up giggling a lot of the time like during the <laughs> summer program and so so that I, I always am sort of brought back to that space our conversations go kind of all over the place into the very deep you know into the absurd into all of these different spaces so I'm really grateful Diane that you can join us today of course it's a pleasure thank you for having me and I I agree. It's it's always so nice to talk to you, and it always brings a smile to my face. And it, as as you said, I think the best conversations are the ones where you start at one point, and then you get to a point where you have no idea how you got there, but you did. <laughs> when you look back, you think, "So I went from there to there to there to there, and then we came here, and why?" And then you come back to your original point, and you still don't know why. And I, <laughs> I think those are really the, the best conversations and the conversations when you are with people with whom you feel free to really share what you think. And that is very rare. So I'm very grateful to be here with you today. Yeah, where, where, where a conversation becomes, you know, like a life journey almost, you know, where you sort of go back and then you go forward and then just round in that way and then all these different places. So, so tell us about you. Okay, so... um. I'm so I'm, I'm a singer, obviously, um, and uh, I I have a very well not very but I have an original kind of background because I I started out as a as a musician I started out as a violinist um, I played the violin for a very very long time. Do you still play? Do you ever play? I actually I do I I still play it l less so than when I was a teenager but I I still practice from time to time I pick it up and I I swear because it's not as good as it used to be and, and then my fingers get all you know all crusty and bloody and, and then I stop playing and and I forget about it and then I come back to it and it all starts again <laughs> so after and so after playing the violin for such a long time I, I also started you know to to sing in choir and stuff like that um, and I really enjoyed it and at the end of my uh, high school uh, journey let's put it like that um, <laughs> I actually, I decided to go to business school. Um, so I went to business school and at the same time I, I got into a conservatoire in, in Paris. And so I kind of always did both both journeys at the same time. So I had one foot in the business world and one foot in the, uh, in the artistic world. And um, today I'm just successfully working uh, in both um, with, um, it, a few years ago, a little bit more balance towards business because I was starting out and so I had less gigs. So obviously I, I needed to depend more on the business side of it. And now um, the balance is shifting to a little bit more artistic, a little bit less business, but I like to keep it on the side 
anyways. Yeah, so so I know that this is a kind of a, an atypical situation, especially in, in, in France, where, you know, it's not very well viewed to, uh, you know, do several things at the same time. Uh, it's not really the culture here. Um, so I, I so keep... what would you say, sorry, so what would you say is, is the culture there? Like what, what is expected of a person um, within any discipline? I, I think that what people expect is that when you're good at something, that is the only thing you're going to focus on. And when you do several things, um, there's this doubt that comes in um, and people assume that if you're doing several things, you can't excel in all of them. So that means that either you excel in none of them or you excel in, in one of them and the others are just, you know, for fun or or you're just, you know, spreading your energies around. Um, Too thinly. Interesting. So so uh, I try to keep everything separate. I have different LinkedIn's. Um, I have, you know, I, I try to make sure that the two worlds don't come together too much because I know it, it can create confusion and um, maybe sometimes not be a very good thing and I, I can lose opportunities because of that. So um, I'm very careful, but um, overall it's working very, working out for me pretty well. And I actually really like the, the balance that it gives me because, um, uh, so I, I, I work in, in the artistic world and then my hobby is, you know, I, I sometimes I go to the office and I, I work on PowerPoint, you know, it's, it's just a lot of fun. Oh man. If PowerPoints could be a thing that I do for fun, I, f I feel like that actually would be a good thing, balancing out my administrative side of what I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I look at a PowerPoint and I'm just like, oh, wait, I have to press this button. Oh, crap. And then I, you know, it's the wrong one. <laughs> so, um, but but yeah, I, I think that's really interesting um, that you have to keep these worlds so separate. And I guess it makes sense to an extent. Like you know, I I do work, I do work as in voiceover, and then I do work you know sometimes on camera, and then sometimes you know off camera, and and um, you know, and then obviously stage work, and and these worlds don't necessarily talk to each other all that much. <laughs> um, and so you kind of have to present something that that applies to whomever you're you're working with and speaking with. So I, I guess I understand that. So um, yeah. tell me a little bit more, because I remember when we met, you were sort of in this place where you were finishing up business school and you couldn't wait to be done. And so that you would finally be able to really fully pursue your artistic dreams. Um, why was that? Like, what, what was that like? Oh, yeah. Um, the thing is, you know, I, when, I, when I finished high school, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so I, like, business was kind of a, not a default choice, but I was like, uh, you know, uh, I like history, I like math. Uh, I like economics, let's do this, you know? Um, it was more of, that That was my, my reasoning at the time. And the thing is within, I think a week of being in business school uh, with the actual people, taking the actual classes, I said to myself, uh, I don't belong here. <laughs> These are not my people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, oh my, and, and I was like, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm, I'm screwed basically because I, I've, I've, I've spent so much time, you know, studying and prepping for, to get into, you know, a, a good business school and, you know, working 
seven days a week, you know, spent before the the entry uh, exam, uh, spending uh, three weeks studying from, you know, from from the moment I wake up to the moment I go back to bed and basically spending three weeks in my pajamas, you know, yeah. <laughs> because, that, you know, I was doing nothing, nothing else. And I get into the school and I realize that, wow, all of these efforts for nothing, um, well, not for nothing, but I mean, I, I've, I've made a mistake and I, I actually decided at that moment that I had to, to get into, uh, into studying music and, um, maybe that I would find people that have the same, um, worldview than me, the same, the same values, the same, uh, aspirations. And I was right. And I, I didn't drop out of business school because I was, I figured out that if I had put so many efforts into it, I would, might, I might as well finish, you know, the actual thing. So, um, I went through well, and also with the skill set, you know, it's a separate skill set that's actually super helpful as a performer to be able to know, you know, how to put a PowerPoint together, you know, how to, <laughs> you know, you know, do spreadsheets and, you know, call meetings and, you know, all of those things that, that you have to do in business and also, you know, the kind of long hours that you put in. I mean, I don't know, I mean, I knew so many guys in New York when I was living there that like, you know, they just kind of slept at their office. And then, you know, these, these eye bankers, um, and they'd wake up and they'd start all over again. And then they'd go back at home after two or three days, which to me sounds pretty awful, but like, it wasn't forever. And it was sort of a rite of passage time, but like, yeah. but that's typical, right? Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. It, it absolutely is. And I, I think that, um, that's what kept me also there to think that, you know what, these skills will will be useful to me to know to if I want to create my own projects, if I want to to do my own shows or write, I don't know, uh, an opera or something, uh, or create a, a an opera company or be part of one, I can take I can take the the administrative side of it and uh, and be good at it and uh, actually make a budget and and think about okay if I want to do this I need uh, uh, this kind of budget for costumes I need this kind of, and and actually go to investors and pre present it and feel comfortable doing it so. I think that it's uh, interesting. Also for negotiating contracts, it helps. <laughs> oh my gosh. I am the worst negotiator in the world. I probably shouldn't say that out loud. But I, like, you know, people are like, uh, how about this much? I'm like, eh, I don't know, maybe okay. You know, like, it's terrible. It's terrible. And it's such an important skill because you have to know your worth. And working yeah. on that process of knowing your worth, you know, and I've certainly gotten better. And also, it's nice to have, you know, representation that can make those arguments for you. Um, you know, it, it it can make a huge difference. Elisa has some experience with that. Elisa, I don't know if you want to chime in at all. I will say this. I think that a lot of people have strange mindset around money. And so talking about money, um, it can be hard, especially when you're conflating your your sense of self-worth with how much people will pay you or or you know feeling some sort of false modesty about asking for what you're worth and that kind of I don't know it, it, there are a lot of a lot of sort of um complex threads of emotionality and who knows what else that are connected there so negotiating skills are awesome and and I would say you know having having the confidence to um, to assert yourself is also extremely valuable and underrated. Of, I kind of want to be in the room 
when Dion gets to negotiate a contract, not like actually in the room as me, but like in the room as like the fly, you know, and just watch her like wield the sword of like strength and like her hair, just like being there. Do you know what I mean? Just like, and here's Dion, because I feel like it would be kind I of- I do, yes, I want to be there as well. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not as awesome as it sounds though, <laughs> because I'm, I'm a young artist. So I, I try, you know, to, to push people, but you know, there's only, you know, there's only so much you can push for when you're when you're starting out but i i do my best you know and um what's really helped me is like right now i'm i'm on this very structured show um that has like a, a producing company and everything and um because of my business background i've been able to really speak to the producer you know um like on the same level as him because i understand what it means to you know invest money and what you're expecting and uh how you how a company functions and stuff so actually he we talk a lot about about company management and finances and stuff and he actually calls me now um directly when he, when he has a question about the other artists or stuff and stuff so i've become his like his go-to person to to speak about stuff so i'm very proud of myself given that i'm the youngest and not the most accomplished artist on the roster of that show we have like french stars of opera singing on the show and he doesn't speak to them first he speaks to me first so i'm very proud about that and okay. i really really attribute that to my to my business background and my my ability to like you said to to be assertive and know your worth and and be able to speak about things that i i actually know because i've experienced them when i did internships or when i was in school yep speaking production language it really is its own thing <laughs> and you know you're coming with different skill sets with different expectations and and I think for many artists it's it it's very very difficult to step outside of you know what it means for me in this moment versus like well it's not just about you like in fact it's about you know this moment where you want to be able to do this thing, well, then we have to hire that person to do that thing. And then we have to talk to that person about making sure they have enough time to do that thing. And then, you know, it's it's how everything sort of, you know, fits together uh, in order to create a cohesive product. And yeah. and that, you know, and that those conversations, you know, can be, I think, really challenging for a lot of artists because, because you just haven't thought about it in that way because your brain is you know full of all these languages and like then you step here and then you know i got to make sure that i turn on this moment and blah 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 it's it's so it's it's different it's a different skill set for sure but so you mentioned a little bit about this this um this job that you have that you started before the pandemic and then has sort of been on hiatus a little bit but also like has done a little bit of broadcasting is that correct and then yes. Yeah. So can you, you want to talk, talk to us a little bit about, about what you've been working on? Yes, of course. Um, so b before the pandemic, I, uh, in 2019, I got cast on this, um, amazing show and it's not it just, really is too. it really is. Um, and it's called uh, the Op opera locos, like the Spanish opera locos, you know, um, like crazy, crazy, the, the, people that are crazy about opera, basically, if you translate it literally, mm -hmm. the opera crazies, yeah. And uh, so it's a show that was created in Spain and a French a production company bought the rights to recreate the show in France because they saw potential in it. Uh, and so I'm in the, the French troupe, um, the French company that, that does this um, 
this show, just like, you know, Cirque du Soleil has like different touring, you know, uh, teams in Europe and the US performing the same show, but with, with different, with different set of, of artists. And um, uh, it's, I, I, I really love this, this show. And it's a very interesting experience because um, as opera singers, usually, you know, we get to perform a show maybe five, six times um, in the same staging, I mean. Um, and now, uh, even if we had the pandemic, I've already done nearly a hundred, uh, shows of, of that, um, a hundred performances, sorry, I'm translating from French. So, uh, a hundred, a <laughs> hundred performances of that show. Uh, so it's a, a very, uh, a very amazing experience because it's something that's quite unique and it's really. I, I, I don't know how to say it otherwise than to say that it's it's been an amazing journey and I've really discovered myself as a performer and as an artist thanks to thanks to that show. What is the process like for you um, creating and recreating? Now, are you playing multiple characters or is there a through line? Like, is, is it narrative? Is it, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so, um, so this, this show, um, it's a mix between opera, pop, Tim Burton, clown, and I don't know this, and you know, and, and I love uh, that Tim Burton gets his own category. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and then there's this guy who we don't really know, but you know, everybody recognizes him, and it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's you know it's in it's Tim Burton because of you know the the costumes, the colors, the universe. That's yep. a bit you know it's like grotesque but poetic at the same time. Can I and, share? Can I share a Tim Burton story? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Finish your thought. You said it, it's grotesque. It's what? Yeah, go ahead, and then I'll share my. Story. It's grotesque, poetic, and and funny, and emotional, and and opera, and pop music, and music in general. It's amazing. So I want to hear about the Tim Burton. So here's my here's my little Tim Burton story. <laughs> okay, so um, I got really into learning about motion capture for a while, uh, which is commonly used in like sort of big movies. And if you remember Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, this was right after that came out and it was a huge success. And yeah. motion capture is where you put a bunch of dots all over you and you wear, a, you wear a suit and you go into a green screen space or just a blank space and you your movements are captured with these dots and recreated with a CGI background and character and stuff, right? So um, <laughs> uh, apparently um, when, when they were doing Alice in Wonderland, like I went on this backstage tour of this lot and the person giving the tour had worked with Tim Burton and worked with his crew. When, when, when Mr. Burton came onto the set, he was like, I can't do this. And they were like, oh, what, 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 what can't you do? You know, what, what is it? And, and, and it, he said, it's too green. And all of the people oh. working with him were like, uh, it's a, it's a green screen. You know, it's like, this is what it is. Like, it's a green screen. Like, what are we going to do? Like, he doesn't want it. Well, we could, no, we could, uh. And so someone fashioned some red glasses for him 
so that when so that he could wear them so that when he was working with actors in this space he was able to like focus and function like the green was just too much for him and but I just kind of love that story because I love that that's you know that's an example of production right that's an example of like somebody's job is to figure out how the FERP they're going to be able to you know create a space that will work for this visionary person to do what they need to do so anyway that's my Tim Burton story it's amazing Pretty I love it. I also, yeah. I also want to say, because I didn't answer earlier, but uh, thank you, Elisa, for the compliment about my speaking voice. I don't know if it's amazing, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's what it is. And so thank you. I really appreciate your words. Thank you very much. Yes, you're, you're extremely articulate. It is a pleasure to listen to you speak. And the fact that you're translating from French is also extremely impressive. Yep. And everyone always smell, sounds smarter with an English accent. That's how I feel. You know? <laughs> it just does. It just automatically, like, I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, right? I mean, yeah. imagine if I were speaking with a French accent, it would be very, very strange, you know? And uh, I don't think I would sound as appropriate as I sound now. <laughs> I would love that, too. Actually, we always you are up. Yeah. Either one, Elise is like, yes, either one is okay. <laughs> yeah, either one works. I was, I was reminded of, um, now I can't remember his name, the guy who, the acting coach at, at Payabach. Um, he would say, you are an enter. Oh, yes. You remember. Yes, you are. <laughs> Hunting for space, right? Yes, yes. Oh, my God. I don't remember his name, but no worries. It was funny. Yeah, are we all Antos? The first, see, that's another moment. That's another moment for me where I'm like, oh, I don't know what an unter is. <laughs> yeah, like, no, it's, it's, it's the French, you know, we don't pronounce H's. Oh, no, right, right. But like, but I just mean that happens to me, you know, with different people at different times where I'm hearing someone speak with an accent and I'm like, oh, I don't know what they said. And I am responsible for the next part of this conversation, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, well, yeah. Usually, just asking them to repeat or saying, "What do you mean exactly?" Yeah, exactly. Well, there, I think with that particular acting teacher, I remember you know him saying that, and then I'm like watching him, and I look at his like sort of movements and like how they're kind of like strong, you know, like fast and strong and like deliberate. And then like the way he's like sort of staring everything down. I'm like, oh, oh, I know what that is. You know what that is. It took yeah. it took a little extra moment for me, which it does for a lot of things. You know, I'll have a conversation with someone and then I'll be walking down the street thinking about that conversation and be like, oh, 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 this is what I have to say, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, it's not just, it's not just um, not understanding people who are not speaking my language. It's also just, you know, it's just my, my particular brain processing. Yeah. Okay, so where were we? We were, we were Tim Burton and- we were. Yeah, so, okay, yeah, cool. So Tim Burton and Spanish, it's a traveling troupe, right? And it's, and it sort of goes <laughs> along with that, that sort of aesthetic and feeling and, so it's 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 I, I really like this show because it really it you know it gives opera the place that it should have 
Um, and it really, for people who, who don't know opera that well, who don't necessarily like it, it's actually a show that they usually really love and children love the show also. And what's really great about it is that except for the arias that we sing, there is no spoken word. You know, mm. it's, it's like um, physical theater. So, you know, there's a lot of mumbling, but no actual words, you know, like, you know, like all of yeah. these interjections that everyone understands, whatever your culture, whatever your language, but you don't need the words. And the arias are sung not to give, you know, the, the actual context and meaning of the aria, but to give the feeling, you know? For example, um, I sing O Mio Babino Caro, and I don't sing it as literally, okay, daddy, please let me marry this guy who's really cool, blah, 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 or otherwise I'm gonna kill myself because you suck, please let me marry him, you know? Um, it's actually, it's a song about love. And so I sing it, uh, holding a picture of of my love, of the person I love and saying, singing the aria, saying, I love this guy. I really do. And that's what people get. Same thing later on, I get to sing the, the second aria of, of the Queen of the Night. And... Uh, Which is a little bit less about love. A little bit yeah, less a little bit less, less yeah. <laughs> uh, and and it's, it's actually a, an, an aria, it's about, it's about being... Uh, and I sing it being angry at this guy and telling him I'm angry at you and throwing stuff at him and then being, oh my God, so much emotion and, and you know, smoking a cigarette and then throwing stuff again. And it really works for people. People don't need to understand what you're saying. The music conveys the feeling and that is what creates the story. And that is the value of opera is that music and words, of course, but you don't need to understand the words to understand the meaning. And you find that through that, because my often my concern with watching an aria that is, you know, maybe just just one emotion, right, yeah. is that over the course of that three to five minutes, sometimes seven, Lord help us, sometimes nine, um, we <laughs> we have a sense of like you know, th this is, this is where we are emotionally, but I'm wondering if it, one of the reasons why it works for Opera Locos is because there's so much going on during other parts that when you get to those, you know, three minutes of here's the aria, like, is it in some ways a respite to be able to just be in a space with an emotion? Or do you find that you are able to sort of morph emotions over the course of the aria? Actually, it depends on the aria. Um, it's a very short show, so it's an hour 15 minutes, so it's quite short and it's very intense. Um, so there are arias uh, where there's a lot going on on stage. For example, um, uh, there's we sing Granada, you know the uh, the art song, the Spanish art song, Granada, na 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 whatever um and we actually do a choreography on it and it's really fun and we we you know because it's the the baritone sings this and and we you know we we mess up the choreography and and he's angry at us and and everything it's really funny so there's a lot going on so um here it's less emotional but there are other moments where actually not that much is happening but it's it's good for the public because in the rhythm of 
this the show they need this moment to you know relax and have this moment where you have this this aria and this feeling and um and when i sing for example mio babino caro which is one of these moments that is kind of suspended i i try to not just sing it you know in one way like oh i'm in love i'm in love i'm in love but you know different things about love like oh i'm in love but at the same time i'm worried and what if it doesn't work out but i mean love i mean prevails always so i know that we can do this but what if he doesn't love me back what will i do but i i believe i have hope you know and all of these things i try to make them come out at different moments of the aria so that it's it's alive you know it's not just me uh, trying to of course i try to sing as, as well as possible so that it's it's perfect and beautiful but for me it's not enough i really need to to have movement in the aria because otherwise it's it's not i think it's it's boring for me and if it's boring for me it's boring for the audience so i i'm not sure i answered your question but i tried <laughs> no absolutely and i guess the other thing that goes along with that is how do you find your because like if i have to sing o mio babino caro one more time like i might i might lose it so how but i also don't really have to anymore because now you know i'm a mezzo um but yeah but um how do you keep those moments new like what about do you find that a space that you're in or do you feel the energy of an audience or do you are you influenced by maybe a specific person that you see like what is it about what's around you and what you're bringing and having new thoughts to make sure that each performance is sort of its own unique experience like what is that process like for you since you've performed this over 100 times it's a very good question actually um i i think i i i'm i'm a person who doesn't really like to be bored so i think this helps because it forces me to always think about ways to make something better and to keep it entertaining because otherwise you just you know you just you're just bored you know it's it's not it's not interesting you lose the fire and the energy and i think that around the 30th uh show the 30th performance i i really was you know in my character everything was going well and i started thinking well now i have two different ways of going about this either i'm like no this is okay i can just you know profit on on all the work i've done and lay back and just you know let it pass and phone it in as they say yeah or or i can challenge myself to try to find new things and to experiment and to push myself and i because i don't like being bored i i chose the second option so what i do is when i come off stage i always kind of do a, a little mental um summary of what happened if it was if how i felt did i feel okay um what worked what can i do better and then the next time i try to implement new things and i try to to push myself but i think that because we are in physical theater and we have to be you know kind of quirky and funny on stage because you know we have clown makeup and we kind of act like clowns but the difficulty about clown uh technique is that you're funny but the emotion you're giving is real 
right? Mm. Clowns are funny and poetic when they're well done because, for example, Charlie Chaplin, Chaplin, he's so funny, but if you look at him closely, every single emotion he feels is 100% real. Yeah, the sadness is there too. You know? Absolutely. The sadness, when he's happy, everything is, is, is anchored in a, a very strong and real feeling. And I think that this has helped me because every time I was playing the character, I was always asking myself, like the, 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 you know, the stage director always told me, yeah, it has to be real. And he would, when we rehearsed, he would stop me and say, start again, this is fake. Do it again, do it again. And I, I, I repeated, I don't know how many times, uh, a particular scene that, that is really, really challenging for me um, still to this day. And so now every time I'm thinking, so where is the real feeling I'm feeling? And maybe it's, it's not love. Maybe that day I'm tired and, and I want to go home and maybe that day I'm sad or maybe I'm angry or maybe I'm happy, but I use this emotion and, and warp it into something that is going to help me and feed me so that my performance is real. And so every time I perform the same song, but I, I don't necessarily perform it the same way. And sometimes when I come off stage, people will tell me, oh, today was different from what you usually did. And, and when people say that to me, I'm happy because that means that I'm, I'm trying new things and it's, it's showing. I guess so it's I think, yeah, sorry. No, 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 you, you go ahead, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's just that I, I think, I think the, what has really helped me is this, is to really, to really be very conscious of how I'm feeling so that I am transparent and uh, I can, I can, you know, let, let the, the art come through me and not change it, just let it be, be pure. And then I just have to orient it. And it, it, it's what makes every live performance, I think, unique. And it's what separates virtual performing from from live performing and it's what makes you you know when you see someone live it gives you goosebumps because this is a moment that is unique and you will never be able to you know press on repeat and watch it again it's it's a unique moment and something happens and that's the beauty of of our art and and of of being a performer and an opera singer in particular I think and I think there's something too um the freedom that knowing that you're going to be revisiting, like visiting and revisiting a role allows you to experiment with, right? Like there's a certain amount of like, okay, I'm feeling this today. So I'm going to bring that because that's what's real. So today this is what's real. And, you know, channeling that into, into what, you know, what the character in that moment is going through. Um, I would imagine brings that sense of authenticity. Um, I'm trying to think the longest run I ever had on a show or so far have had on a show, uh, I think is like seven weeks. And after like, after the first couple of weeks, I was like, oh man, I, uh, I'm running out of ideas. <laughs> what can I try now? You know, and, you know, and I was playing Ironically, actually, I guess a little bit right now, I was playing this Russian woman. And like, I, um, and I was, uh, and I was just like, okay, you know, because you have to take away a caricature and you have to create something that feels uh, lived in and lived in comes with 
right? It comes with movement and it comes with all, all of these different elements that sort of play a part in it. Elisa, how have you done long runs of shows as well? I'm sure you have. Yeah. I haven't really, to be honest with you. Um, <clears throat> nothing like, you know, what they do on Broadway or, um, I'm trying to think, I've, I've been thinking, well, we've been talking about this, I've been trying to think about the longest run that I ever did. And honestly, very standard, sort of four or five performances maybe was the longest. <laughs> so right. and, and often spanning, as it is with most operas, right? It, it, it usually spans a few weeks and, you know, you're going to do a show this night and then you're going to get a break for a few nights and then you're going to do it again. And... And I, I wonder if that changes the nature of opera as well, um, you know, because of its, um, you know, sort of like, because of the, the breathing room you get between, if it, if it sort of changes what a traditional opera sort of feels like and is experience, you know, what it, how it feels for people. I don't know, it's something I wonder. But yeah, in the French tradition, I understand that, that mime, and like clowns and like this is a very serious art in France is that is that true a serious I don't know but it's yeah I, I guess it's it's part of the of our culture yes right and it's something that like you would go to school to study to learn how to do that is that correct yes yeah yes. so I would say at least from an American standpoint, that that's something that would be taken very seriously just because I don't know if in America you can you can go to school to study that. I know that within acting programs, especially in conservatory settings, you definitely have classes where you're, you know, doing mask work and you're doing, um, you know, all, all these different kinds of movement classes and such, but like, but actual like studying to become a clown, like that, that, that is a very, there's, there's so much nuance in it. Yes, there, there, I actually have a, a very good friend who took classes to become a clown um went to school for that she's in a she's an actress and it's um it, it's a very it's a very intense and difficult training because um you have to um the, the the teachers when she explained it to me she told me that teachers told her it's not about creating a character it's about giving birth to your own clown that lives inside of you and who is your own and different from other people's clowns and um, it's about finding how they move, how the clown speaks, um, what kind of joke they do. Um, uh, are they a sad clown or a happy clown or a jokey clown or a slutty clown? Um, and it's, it's all of the nuances. It's, it's really fascinating when, when she explained it to me. And I went to see one of the shows uh, they did at the end of, uh, you know, for the diploma or whatever. Um, and it was very, it was, um, it was very interesting. It was a very unique experience. And uh, I actually asked for her help when I was um, rehearsing for uh, the, the show, the opera, op, op, uh, op, I have to pronounce it correctly in English, sorry. The <laughs> opera, opera locus in French, easier. Okay. It's too complicated for my brain. Um, and she really helped me to really, work on this not trying to show something but you know being you know the difference between being and and doing um it's a very subtle difference uh, and it's actually very philosophical because i think in life um we all try to do 
to feel like we have value and we exist, but actually it's about being, you know, uh, in French, uh, um, I mean, yeah, uh, existing, there's the word, the word exister, but to be uh, is être, and être is the being, you know, it's the yeah. same word, a being and to be um, in French. And, uh, but it's, it's in English, I think, I find that the word is more nuanced and it can mean more things. And in French is very, you know, it's like you, you are, it, you it. And uh, I think that we, especially today with Instagram and stuff and everything, we try to do and show instead of just being. And I, I think that we would all be collectively more accomplished and feel better if we just were instead of trying to do stuff to prove that we're existing Sorry. no I love that no I'm so glad we went here Ooh. Um, because that's to me I mean that's the essence of like really being a great actor is being willing to be who you are in private in public and it's the ultimate vulnerability because in that space in that place you can be wounded because in you know when you aren't being fully yourself it's easy to then just turn away and say, oh, well, maybe they didn't like this aspect or it wasn't that thing or I didn't do this enough, you know, or whatever. But like when you are fully yourself, it's so vulnerable, but it's also the birthplace to me of true creativity. And that's when it becomes communal because people are able to take what, what you are and, you know, sort of say, Thank you. And I, I love this idea of, are you a sad clown or are you a happy clown or are you a, you know, confused clown or are you, and I wonder, I'm like, oh man, now I want to, now I want to study to be a clown <laughs> because I feel sort of like I have that natural thing in me of being kind of clownish, but you know, what would it actually be? And what is that natural instinct in me actually covering up? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what am I trying to hide behind? in order to in order to maybe not have to be completely present like what you're talking about like this idea of being really present in a moment instead of like curating a moment with you know some nice little you know fuzzed out background and a cute little sign and like a smile well isn't it interesting i feel like can i tie it back through Please. my babysitter just arrived so i've got a little bit of silent room right now so i feel like i'm like so, um, so I have, I have a couple of comments. First of all, I feel like this kind of ties it back around to, um, the Joyce Donato moment that I had that I, I told Rachel about that kind of kicked off this whole transparent singer that became the podcast and everything, which was just that she really was so present. It was insane. Um, singing Maria Stuarda. This was, was it 2013? I'm trying to remember when that was, Rachel. I think it was in uh, I think it spring was, of 2013. I think it was 2013. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and just, uh, it, it was interesting because the contrast that I saw in that moment and what I realized about myself as a singer and an actor was how much artifice or, you know, not, and, and not like, not like I was trying to deceive the audience, you know, but it was just like, I was doing the best that I knew in that moment as far as acting was concerned, which we don't do. We really, I mean, don't do a ton of acting, um, as singers, we do, we get some training and of course we can always do more on our own if we want, but I would say that the general track doesn't include a ton of, of acting training. Um, but 
how exhilarating it was for me to see Joyce Di Donato in that that with that level of presence and it was like suddenly the singing became one element within this experience and it was the singing became so much more thrilling because she was so present um, and it was it was conveying the emotion of the character instead of sort of being this thing that she was doing to impress people or to make a, a big sound you know in the in a very big <laughs> uh, um, venue right the Met is is not a small venue mm -hmm. um, and uh, and and that was enough that you know it created a, a revolution and for me um, in my mind and my heart about what opera could be um, because I had always seen it as, with some distance um, and not not as intimate in terms of making that connection, that emotional connection. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say was I, I had an experience during my New York years of going to an acting class, um, and I can't remember the name of the actor who um, who taught it. I, if I looked back to my emails, I could find his name, but he was brilliant, and he had gotten a lot of really um, positive reviews from his work. And... Um, and I had done acting classes before, and it was always funny because I was like the big actor, the stage actor there, and everyone else was kind of like going more the the film sort of route where they were subtle and stuff. And I was like, I yeah, I'd subtle. I don't get that really. Um, but I feel like that's that's kind of what we're talking about with this clown thing is like is is being being present and allowing that yeah that moment to come through authentically as it is without trying to make it into something trying to do something and this this um this actor who was teaching this class that I was in said um well why don't you just sing something for us and and act you know as you're singing or just you know whatever don't act but just be yeah be in this song and I, I sang Ain't Misbehavin' which is one of my jazz standards that I that I love um and he immediately commented that I was moving my eyebrows a lot. And I was like, I am? And I had no idea. But he was, he was talking about the power of just allowing your eyes to speak and allowing the feeling to be in your eyes without needing to sort of, I don't know what you would call that, but like exaggerate almost with, with this extra sort of opening and closing of the eyebrow area in addition to what's going on in the, in the actual eyes. Sorry, that was a lot that I just said. But if anybody wants to comment on it, I'm so open to it. I feel like I could really benefit sometimes from some Botox in, in the forehead. <laughs> no, I, um, that's just a joke, really, um, because Botox scares me. But um, yeah, what do we do? What are our unconscious things that we're doing as a maybe a coping mechanism for uh, for the amount of the amount of how much we're, you know, what we're bringing to a space, what we're bringing to a moment, and yet what we are also holding back and what we feel like we need to hold back and hold on to in order to, you know, have some sense of either our own strength or our own um, unique sort of place in the world. Like, what is it that makes us um, not just release into you know, into a complete surrender of a character or of a, you know, or of a moment for a character. You know, I, I wrote down this thought as you were, as you were talking, Elisa, that, that it's, you know, this idea of specificity without mm. artifice. Like, what does that, what does that take? 
I, and I think a lot of it is sort of this peeling back. Because when I, when I repeated the song or when I started to sing without using my eyebrows and became aware of what I was doing that I was completely unconscious of and the way that it read, you know, to my audience, I just was not, it was not on my radar. It was difficult for me to stop doing it, but when I did, it was just like, wow, I, I understand that I was putting some power into that that was completely not, not specific, right? It was sort of just this extraneous, random... Yeah, so I think I think that's a great question, Rachel. I, I don't know the answer to it, but I think it's a really good, important question. Dianne? Yes, I, I think that this, I think this is something that we all ask ourselves at some point as performers when we realize that there are things that are speaking for us that we're not conscious of and that are conveying feelings and things that are not necessarily what we're trying to convey, but they're just, you know, it's kind of speaking... Uh, how do you, I, I don't know how to say that in English right now. If I try to rephrase it, it would be that it speaks uh, despite you, in spite mm -hmm. of you. And uh, I, I think that it, sometimes it's really difficult because when you, as you said, Alisa, when you focus on these things and you try to not, you know, become aware of them and you try to prevent them from, from expressing themselves, you feel... Um, you feel strange because uh, all of this energy you have to put somewhere else and you don't know where to put it and you feel uncomfortable and as if someone has peeled something off of you and you're thinking, yes, but what do I do with all of this energy and all of this stuff? And I think when you, when you manage to perform and have everything connect and not have anything comment around you, that's when what some people say you're in the zone you know things just connect and everything is exactly going in the same direction and and following where you're kind of you know conducting it it's i think those are those are the moments and, and maybe it doesn't happen that often sometimes it happens maybe i don't know three four times a year but in these moments that's when that's when you you're amazing and you come off stage and people are like what just happened and you yourself think what just happened i don't know what happened but it was amazing yeah. And I think that comes back to that idea of the muse, right? That idea of, of there are times when we, we are touched by something that's outside of ourselves, giving influence to, to what we are working on. And it, it's in those moments, I think, where you feel you know, a sense of like, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, I don't know what happens. I was, yeah, that's pretty amazing, right? Like, cool. I'm really grateful that I got to experience that, but that wasn't me. It's incentive, though, to stop trying to control everything so much because those are the experiences that that make art, that transform us and transform the people who see what we do. And I think they stay with us, right? Like, I have these memories of moments of, like, you know, being transported artistically and not all you know, not all performances will be that way, not all things, just because it does sort of need to be, uh, it, it is special, right? It is something special, but like, what can we give and what can we, and I, and I think that comes back to, Dion, what you were talking about, you know, what am I going to be today? And when you come off stage and people say like, oh, that was different, that was special. And it's like, it can be different and it can be special every single time if, if we are allowing ourselves to be open to, to what we are truly sort of where we truly are. Um, 
And yet I think the natural tendency is to be like, oh no, 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 that's self-indulgent. Like I can't, I can't be, you know, if I'm feeling, if I'm feeling grief over the loss of a relationship or the loss of a loved one, um, I can't allow that to influence my performance because I need to be a professional and I need to, you know, present this character authentically. You know, this character is excited because they're going to, um, you know, for whatever reason, like let's say it's a really happy character or, or even, and you know, how do you, how do you perform that happy character with grief? But I think that I think that you can because I don't think that any emotion or any sort of state of being is singular. I think anytime it's just that singular thing, that's that's when we don't have a three dimensional, when we don't have something that is that is vibrant and alive that we can really sort of see different angles of. But, you know, that's that's when we're missing out on a on a full character. So, you know. I don't know, figuring out how to infuse these different things with, you know, whatever it is that we're experiencing in, a, in any given moment on any given day, um, you know, does create that sense of, of dimension. I agree. I agree. And actually, I think it was a, an, an acting coach in Payabach who, who talked about this to us. But I don't know if it was in a session where you, Rachel, and you, Lisa, were present but I remember um, an acting coach telling us that sometimes people are happy but because they don't want to be sad that means they are so sad and they need to be joyful because otherwise they would break down so they need to be happy but it comes from a place of pain and sometimes people are in pain but it comes from a place where they actually enjoy feeling that way and they they get something from it and so as you said it creates emotions that are three-dimensional it creates emotions that are deep that are real and this i think shows that you can from whatever emotion you're feeling whether it's a big emotion a small emotion you can build another co more complex emotion based on the reality of what you're feeling i think that a lot of performers actually use that, uh, like um, I, I'm going to give a French performer because, you know, I'm French and, you know, we like to speak about French stuff. So uh, Edith Piaf, after the, she, you know, before a concert, one, uh, her fiance, you know, died tragically in a, in a plane accident. And uh, she was informed of, you know, his, his, basically his death just before going on stage. And she went on stage and and she managed to do that. And I think it's because she was at that level of performance, like you said, Elisa, like Joyce DiDonato and, and uh, Maria Callas uh, and, and many other performers are when they can, uh, you know, transform and sublime an emotion that they're feeling, whatever the emotion, and use it on stage to convey whatever they're trying to convey in that moment to the audience and to really communicate something bigger than themselves um to to people but i i think that what we all we, we're all about we focus a lot as performers at, le at least i used to you know about i have to give you know be generous to the to the audience and really focus on the audience and stuff but uh, i realized with with this show actually that if i want people to really feel with me i have to start with me and so it's a bit like narcissistic to say that, but if I don't start with me, then I, I'm not real. 
And so I have to start with real things that are about myself, with real emotions, with a real state of mind that I'm feeling and build on that the bridge to bring the people either into my world or for me to enter theirs. That's really beautiful. Ah, what a great conversation. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for, for taking the time, especially so late. I know with these time zones, it's crazy. But thank you uh, for sharing a little bit about this journey and your journey and you. That was awesome. So thank you. And I look forward to more experiences where we can laugh and drink hot chocolate and have fun and create music and do great things. Yes, me too. Thank you so much for having me. I, I, I think it's, it's my, my French culture where I, I always, you know, go back to, you know, philosophical stuff are you freaking kidding me it's like my favorite thing in the world like like, (laughs) talk about ideas it's like what what about this what if that i think you know think i i don't know if i've ever shared this with you or if i've shared it i don't know if i've shared it on the podcast but like one of my favorite sayings and i have no idea who said it um but it's um small minds talk about people average minds talk about events and great minds talk about ideas. Oh, I love that. And I, I love it because I think it makes me constantly want to know like what makes people tick rather than what they've done that day or what anyone else has done that day. You know, it's like, well, what, you know, what are the things that can help us to actually grow? So thanks for being a part of that growth journey, Dion. Thank you. Thank you for being part of mine. And, and thank you for having me on, on your podcast. It's, it's a pleasure. Absolutely. Do you want to do any final plugs for your, um, for your show? Like when do you start up again? Where will you be touring? All that. Yeah. So for, for the moment, we're, we're only performing in, in France and Switzerland and Belgium, but um, you can uh, check online for the teaser trailer of the Opera Locos um where you'll see my face with blue hair that's a lot of fun because that's not my natural color spoiler alert really um uh and uh it's it's a really great show and i actually think because we we did a uh we recorded a live show and i think that the dvd now exists illegally on the internet so if you want to purchase it buy your bootlegged copy here of 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 my show you can it exists online and it's it's a really really cool show so if you're in paris we start performing in paris uh in september and october and we'll be performing all the way through to 2023 at least on tour all over france or in paris so if you are in france you can check out the opera locos france and uh check out our dates on facebook and on instagram Thank you so much, Tian, and I look forward to us getting to chat again soon.